Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. to the book of Matthew, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at Matthew a little bit, but Luke chapter 19 is where we're at. <laughs> and um, this is Palm Sunday, and, and it's time where we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Jesus had been in Jericho, and he had been teaching and he had set his face towards Jerusalem knowing that his time was, uh, was coming nigh uh, to the time in which he'd have to go to the cross of Calvary. And so Jesus has uh, set his sights on Jerusalem knowing that that's what's awaiting him when he gets there. And today we're going to kind of look at that and, and see uh, some different things about uh, the triumphal entry and what's significant about it and look at, at how it can be misunderstood by in so many different ways. Robin and I lived in West Virginia for about seven years uh, and uh, this was around uh, 2000, uh, 1999 to 2000 and something. I, I can't remember, but anyway, uh, we, w- we were living up there and uh, when we lived there, uh, Bluefield is known for having a bunch of railroad tracks going through the city, uh, it, primarily because all the coal that comes out of uh, coal mines in West Virginia go through Bluefield because that was where the offices of Norfolk and Southern were. Norfolk Southern uh, Railway was the well, railway that uh, was used to ship all of the uh, coal out of West Virginia, headed to parts unknown all over the United States to provide electricity. And, uh, and for many years, uh, they physically counted every car that came through uh, Bluefield, every coal car, to be able to account for every bit of coal that came out of West Virginia. And uh, so there were uh, six or eight tracks uh, going through the heart of the city of Bluefield, West Virginia. And uh, for many, many years uh, that had taken place. And there was a bit, used to be one of those big roundhouses where locomotives would, you know, locomotives you have to turn around. Now, uh, uh, trains today, uh, the diesel trains, they'll go either direction, either forwards or backwards. But uh, locomotives, you have to turn around. And and there's a big, uh, used to be these big uh, buildings called roundhouses that the train would go into. And about uh, 300 workers from Bluefield were employed just to turn that train around whenever the trains needed to be turned in a different direction and head back out. And uh, so uh, a lot of workers were used in Bluefield for uh, the train uh, industry to, to move coal out as well as the coal industry. And, and uh, they had one of these big... Uh, Tipples where they would uh, put all the coal in and wash it uh, before it was shipped so that uh, coal dust wouldn't go all over the place. And 
Uh, all of that had been changed by the time we got there to uh, Bluefield. Uh, but one of the things they told me about uh, Bluefield what, that was real interesting was is that for years the Barnum and Bailey uh, Circus had uh, gone to Bluefield and uh, had performed a big uh, circus there in Bluefield. One of the main reasons was is that uh, uh, the circus travels by train and the train would go right through the heart of Bluefield and they would stop in Bluefield and they'd get all the animals out of the tra- uh, out of the train and they would parade through the city of Bluefield and in fact while we were still living there in Bluefield we saw the train with the circus come through uh, but they they didn't stop and and do a, a performance there I guess uh, uh, we couldn't put on as big enough show for them uh, today as they used to uh, allow for a show. But they they would uh, they told us about how they would get all the animals out and they would parade them through town. Everybody would come into town and they would watch the the circus march through town. All these big elephants and everything. The elephants would come last because they would use the elephants to push some of the the carts that had uh, different things in the, uh, that to do with the circus up the big hills. The hills were difficult for them to navigate. And they'd use the elephants to push those wagons up the hills in order to get through town. And everybody would come in town to see the circus. And that reminded me of a story about a little boy that that knew that the circus was coming to town and so and he had never seen the circus before and he was all excited. He was just a little uh, whippersnapper of a little boy and he's out there working uh, with his daddy and and uh, uh, he asked his daddy, Daddy, can I go see the circus when it comes to town? And his daddy said, if you get all your chores done, you can go to the circus. So the boy worked really hard all week long, getting all of his work done and, and making sure that he did everything he was supposed to do. And the day came for the circus to come through, and he made sure that he got everything done early enough so he could go see the circus. And he came to his daddy and he said, Daddy, can I go see the circus now? And he said, do you have all your chores done? And he said, yes, sir. And uh, his daddy reached down into his bib overalls and pulled out a dollar bill. And this was back when a dollar bill meant a lot more than it is today. Uh, back when, uh, you know, you could get a Coke for a, a nickel and all that kind of stuff. He gave him a dollar bill and the boy looked at that dollar bill and, he, and that was the most money he had seen in one place at one time. And so the little boy took the dollar bill and the daddy said, use this to go to the circus and have you a good time today. You worked hard. You earned it. So the little boy put the dollar bill in the same place in his bib overalls that his daddy had kept it in his. And he goes off to see the circus. And he gets there to town. And he's there with all the people uh, crowded around the road, uh, the route for the circus to come. And so he sees all these exotic animals, the giraffes, and he sees uh, zebras, and he sees the monkeys and lions and all kinds of exotic animals. And finally at 
at the end of the of the circus uh, parade comes the clowns, and he sees these clowns, and he's just amazed by all the uh, the costumes and all of the the decorations and everything. And then the clowns, and he just uh, busted a gut laughing at the clowns as they came through town uh, on the parade. And as the clowns are coming through, he takes out the dollar bill and he hands it to the clown, uh, clown and then he goes home. Now. The little boy did that because he thought that was the circus. He had seen the parade come through. He saw all the animals and everything. He thought that was the parade. He didn't realize that the circus would go to an area and set up these big tents and have a great big circus for him to enjoy all day long. He thought that parade was the actual circus. He went home not realizing that he had not seen everything that there was to see. You and I might chuckle at that a little bit and we might say, well, he didn't really see everything he was supposed to see. But that's exactly what happened that day when Jesus went into Jerusalem. When uh, Jesus was making his way towards Jerusalem, it was for the Passover, at the time of the Passover feast. And if you look at Luke chapter 19, you'll see uh, that uh, Jesus is on his way from Jericho and he tells his disciples when he comes to about the place of Mount Olives, he tells some of his disciples to go ahead to, to press on forward uh, while they st- uh, stay hang, hang back and rest for a while. He tells them, go and uh, make preparations. Verse 37 says, and when he was come nigh, even unto the descent of the Mount of Olives, uh, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for of the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Uh, So first of all, we want you to see that as Jesus is making His way into Jerusalem, there is a great crowd of people that have gathered as He's coming in. And, his, and Jesus has told His disciples to go ahead uh, before Him and to get a colt that's there. If you back up a few verses, you'll see that Jesus tells them uh, to go and make arrangements uh, at, an upper, at the upper room where He's going to celebrate the Passover. What we uh, realize is the Last Supper with Jesus, but He also tells them to get a colt that is there and to bring it back, and he is to, He's going to ride that colt into Jerusalem. And as they get back, he gets, uh, they put cloaks over the back of the colt, and he, he rides that colt into Jerusalem. And as he gets close, his, uh, not only does a crowd begin to form around Jesus as He's riding in, but there's a crowd of people that gathers quickly, and they see Jesus riding in, on this colt and they begin to to sing Hosanna. They begin to sing uh, praises to God. They go and they get palm fronds from the the trees nearby and they begin to put them down, uh, wave them in the air and put them down on the pathway. They put their coats on the pathway for the the colt to, to walk on. And they're just singing and rejoicing. And they're praising God for the... They're saying the King has come. 
Now, the reason they say that is because they have been waiting for the Messiah to come. And this is the very image of the Messiah. This is exactly what they expected out of the Messiah to do. He would come as a conquering king. Now, how can you say, well, how is Jesus coming as a conquering king? He doesn't have an army. No, but he has a lot of disciples that have been following and a lot of people that are crowding around Jesus because of all the things that he's done, the miracles that he's done, all the teachings that he's done and they see this crowd of people and they say surely this is the messiah and so they and then they see jesus on the colt now this is also something that would indicate that jesus is coming in as a conquering king because in the day and age of jesus when a a a conquering army would take over an area the king, the general, the one who's in charge would oftentimes get on a lowly colt, a white colt, and he would ride into the city and there'd be a great parade and there'd be a lot of people that would come out and see the conquering king that's coming in and uh, uh, they would many times do this with the king when he returns back from battle as well. Uh, When he's uh, coming back victorious and he's marching all of the captives that they've taken uh, captive during the war and as they're bringing all the great wealth that's come uh, back to the, the city... Uh, after the king has conquered a, a distant land, he would come back on this colt. And Jesus here is coming in as a colt, on, on a colt, and he's coming in just like a conquering general. And this is exactly what they expect out of the Messiah, the one who would come in and give them victory over Rome. That they expected G, uh, the Messiah to come in as a king, as a conquering general that would come in and amass the armies, and they would go out and march against Rome. They'd march against all the people that are around them uh, and give them victory. And, and the reason that they called the Messiah the son of David so many different times is because they expected the Messiah to come as a great king like David was a great king. As Solomon was a great king that expanded the kingdom, they expected the Messiah to come in as uh, King David and go and conquer. Remember King David, he went out and defeated the Philistines. He defeated all these other uh, people all around them that was giving them problems and they expected the Messiah to do the same thing. And so they see Jesus coming in and they say, surely he's the Messiah. And they begin to go out and they begin to celebrate that Jesus has come as the conquering king as the Messiah. And that's just like a lot of people do today. They come in and they see Jesus and they uh, come into our churches and they come in and they hear about Jesus and they have all these false expectations of who Jesus is. They see Jesus and they and there's some people that see Jesus as somebody that's going to make them healthy and wealthy, wealthy and that's going to take away all their problems and uh, that's going to be able to take care of all their needs and, and that's all they see about Jesus. They just see somebody that they expect to make them feel happy and they make make them to feel healthy and that's going to provide for them all kinds of money and all their troubles are going to go away. The only problem is, is the first time they have trouble, the first time they have an illness, the first time that they have an issue and they call on Jesus to take care of it and Jesus doesn't take care of it the way they expect, uh, right away their faith just disintegrates. Right.
Just the same way that this same crowd that's, that's praising Jesus and is there for the Passover and is rejoicing about Jesus will turn on Jesus in just a few short days and they'll call for Him to be crucified. He didn't deliver as they expected. He didn't conquer Rome the way they expected. They didn't, he didn't uh, expel all the Roman soldiers the way they expected. And, and in retaliation, they said, He's not the right one. He's not the Messiah. Just crucify Him. Just get rid of Him. And so, they, this is this first group that sees Jesus. they mistaken Him for who He really is. And they get all excited. Then in verse 39, we see some of the Pharisees. This is the second view of Jesus. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. They said to him, Hey, Jesus, you need to rebuke all these people that are calling you the Messiah. Don't you realize what they're doing? Now these Pharisees, they didn't see Jesus as the Messiah. They saw him just as merely a, a great teacher, which is exactly the way that a lot of people see Jesus today. You'd go and talk to some people today uh, that might have a background in Jehovah's Witness. Oh, Jesus is a great man. He's, uh, he's a son of God, but he's not the Messiah. He's not the one that is going to take away the sins of the world. He's not God in flesh. The Pharisees didn't see Jesus the way we see Jesus. They didn't see uh, Jesus as coming in as uh, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not uh, the son of David. He's just a great teacher. And they said, rebuke all these people that are doing this. This is blasphemous. Tell all these people to stop. And what does Jesus say? Well, many of you probably know what He said without even looking. Jesus said, I tell you, in verse 40, that if these should hold their peace, that the stones would immediately cry out. Jesus said, hey, <coughs> don't say anything to these people. If, if these people weren't rejoicing, even the very stones on the ground would be lifting their voices up to exalt and to glorify God. Don't rebuke them. And when they had come to near the city, and beheld the city, Jesus wept over it, saying, If thou hast known even thou, at least in this day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they were hid from thine eyes. From the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass round about, and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and thy shall, uh, they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knowest not the time of thy visitation. They went into the temple and cast out them that were sold with therein and then them bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer but ye have made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. This last group of people that Jesus uh, goes with as they go into the temple and as, they, and as Jesus shares with them the fact that, uh, that he would be 
uh, crucified. Now, where do you that you say? Well, where's that? And he, it's what Jesus says when he talks to them about uh, that uh, the days coming when he's they're going to be encompassed about the days coming uh, when things are going to happen. Look, uh, Jesus is declaring to them all the things that are going to happen. And they, they just don't understand. They don't see. They don't know. And as Jesus is going into the temple, what He's doing is, is He's preparing the temple for the sacrifice that He's going to make. He goes in and He cleans that temple out of all the, the sellers and all the people that are doing uh, wrong in the temple. Why did Jesus go in there and do that? It wasn't just simply because of the fact that, that He didn't like what they were doing. What he's doing is, is he's going in and making holy the place in which the sacrifice that he's going to make is about to be. Uh, he's about to go to the cross of Calvary, and and he is doing like uh, men of old did many times after uh, the people of Israel had forgotten about God and about, about the worship of God. Many times, God would call up uh, righteous men to come in particularly during uh, the time of the judges. He would tell them to go in and go to the places of worship and to clean up the altar, to clean the, uh, and prepare the way for the sacrifice of the people and to begin again to make it holy so that the sacrifice would be uh, uh, accepted. And here's Jesus. He's going into the temple and He's clearing out all the money changers. He's clearing out all the people that are selling all the sacrifice, uh, sacrificial animals. He's cleaning it out and He says, this is a desecration of God's holy uh, temple. He says, this is a place of worship, not a place of commerce. You've ta- uh, taken it and turned it into something that it shouldn't be. Why did Jesus do that? Because He's making it holy. Because He's about to make a sacrifice that is going to take away the sins of the world. And He's preparing uh, the day uh, for that time in which His sacrifice is going to be made. So we need to see uh, the triumphal entry for what it is. Just as the little boy that went and saw the parade of animals and saw all of that and thought that was the circus, many people misunderstand uh, what they're seeing when they see this passage of Scripture as Jesus is going in to Jerusalem. They see it as a time in which we celebrate and we... uh, uh, and some churches even wave palm fronds and they worship God and they say, Hosanna, Hosanna is Jesus who goes, uh, comes to say, take away the sins of the world and we celebrate and all of that. And that is what it is. But we need to remember there are people that just don't understand. There's people on the, on the fringe who don't understand what, is, uh, what it is that Jesus has done for us and don't understand who He is. We have people that are uh, supposedly within our very myths like the Pharisees who are supposed to know all the things about Jesus and misunderstand who Jesus Christ is and misunderstand the things that Jesus is doing and may even try and hinder the work of Jesus Christ. And then you have those who are following after Jesus, who are trying to faithfully follow after what He's called uh, for them to do. And we are the ones 
those are the ones who need to, to be right with God and prepare their hearts for the sacrifice that has come. Next Sunday, we're going to celebrate uh, the, that sacrifice that Jesus made. Not only the sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, but the fact that Jesus rose the third day and was victorious over the cross and over the death and over the grave so that we might have eternal life. Let us prepare our hearts as Jesus prepared the temple. Prepare us for the day and uh, for the time in which Jesus uh, made the sacrifice for us and as we celebrate that sacrifice that was made for us on the cross of Calvary. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just praise You for all that You are. We praise You for Your many blessings. We praise You for Your love and goodness to us. And we thank You for the gift that You've given us and uh, the sacrifice that You made on the cross of Calvary. Lord, we pray that You prepare our hearts, that, that we might rejoice in what You've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>